preach it. When he says something really good, say hallelujah. God, praise God. Don't make him feel like he's a dentist trying to pull teeth. Make him feel like he's a plane with a jet behind him and the propulsion to fly. Amen. Anybody going to help the preacher preach here tonight? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's not an easy thing. It's certainly not an easy thing when everybody's looking at you like you've lost your mind or what are you doing? But it is an easy thing when everybody gets on board and the Holy Ghost is able to do a work. I believe somebody can receive the Holy Ghost tonight. You believe that? My expectation is God's going to do great things. Amen. So as we stand together, our evangelist tonight is Brother Garrett Pertell. Let's worship the Lord as he comes tonight to preach the word of God. Praise the Lord, everybody. Why don't we give God a little bit more worship? God, I praise you, Jesus. God, I love you, God. I love you, God. I give you all the glory, Jesus. We're here because of you. We're not here to listen to a man speak, God, but we are here and interested in what you have to say, O Lamb of God. God, I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to say thank you to my pastor, and I know that's the typical thing to say, but I am very appreciative. And I remember, if I, well, if I remember correctly, it was Tuesday night, and he told me, well, Gary, I want you to put some in your back pocket. About three, I want you to focus on this. Three to four weeks, you'll be preaching. And Saturday morning, I missed a call from Pastor. And that's like missing a call from Mom. You don't miss the call from Pastor. And I called him back. I said, yes. He said, you're going to be preaching on Sunday night. I said, okay. I distinctly remember telling my parents, man, thank you, Jesus. So thankful for this opportunity. I distinctly remember telling them I had three to four weeks, so they were as surprised as I was when I told them. <clears throat> and it was funny because Brother Jeremy, I had just opened up service, and Brother Jeremy told me, you need four things. You need a sermon, you need to be able to pray, and you need a scripture reading, and you need a word shot. And uh, he said, you're going to need those things because pastor's going to call on you, and you're not going to be ready. You're not going to have time to prepare. And uh, that night he told me that, and Brother Jeremy said, see, look what I told you. And I said, well, you must be something of a prophet. But ladies and gentlemen, the prophet got sick, and he is not here tonight. So you're stuck with the backup. But I want to say thank you very much to this church. Um, I'm spending a little bit of time because you're probably not used to this short of a message. So I've got to put in some time. Well, we're going to be in for a rough ride if the rest of it sounds like that. Oh, man. Um, you guys have put in a lot to me, and I'm very appreciative, very thankful for this church, all the things that you have made me feel loved and respected, all those things. Um, but I want to get into tonight's word. It said in 2 Kings chapter 17, starting with verse number 1, if you have it, say amen. And it says in verse number one, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah began, Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. 
and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his servant, and he gave presents. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. And I have a couple more if you would turn to 2 Kings chapter 18, just the first verse. It says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And the last one, I know it feels like we're probably playing sword drills, but from Galatians, from Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And that is going to be my title tonight, The Yoke. If you would put down your Bibles and pray with me. God, I pray that you would touch these lips of clay, God. That you would fill this place, God, with your spirit and with your anointing, God. That you would do greater things, God, than we could ever do on our own, Jesus. God, we lift up this place with praise and worship, God. We thank you for touching us, God. In belief, God, we state it emphatically, God. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As per the title of my message, a yoke is defined as a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the necks of two animals and attached to the plow or cart they are to pull. And the purpose of the yoke is to make the burden on the ox easier to pull. As the burden is now distributed over the backs of two as opposed to one. You have two animals making the pull instead of just one. But we know that the verse or verses, many verses in the Bible that talk about the yoke are in a negative connotation. We hear about to not be unequally yoked. And there's many times that it can be viewed as this symbol of slavery and servitude. And in certain instances, when Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, and he's referring to the Mosaic laws, he calls, calls them the yoke, the yoke of laws that have been put upon the people. And they have to deal with them, and they have to measure up to something that is almost next to impossible. And throughout the Bible, men are constantly, constantly wrestling against this yoke of bondage. As Galatians says, be not entangled again. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Again would mean that there was a time before that they were entangled. And there are many stories throughout our lives, and certainly we would know family members and friends and co-workers that have dealt with the pulling of the yoke. And in the Bible, there's also many other opportunities that I could draw from. But I would like to go back to our opening text in 2 Kings in chapter 17 to give a little bit of, of uh, context. And we read in that a man by the name of Hosea, he begins to reign in Samaria. This is the capital of Israel. And at this point in history, it's not all 12 tribes of Israel, but they have been split up. There are the 10 tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Judah. They are not together. And as many of us know, between the two, Israel is going to be the first one to fall. 
And it would be under the leadership of this man, Hosea, this wicked man, this man that did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we see him that he comes to the king of Assyria and he becomes his servant or vassal. And this is meaning a, a mutual obligation and he pays tribute. It says he gives him presents, but these aren't the presents that you put, you know, the pretty red bow on and you do everything and you make it look all pretty. This is money that's supposed to go into the house of God for protection. He's giving it to this king of Assyria and instead he's putting his trust in the hand of God or in the hand of man as opposed to the hand of God. And they were gifts of tribute so that Israel could live in peace. They wouldn't have to fight. They would just have to pay the tribute money. We can't have rest. Hosea, just, just live with the yoke. It's not that bad. It's just the tribute that you have to pay. Can I tell you that too many times we go through life and we're just told by the devil, if you just pay the tribute money, just pay the tribute money. I'm going to put this yoke on you. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be what you really want, but it's going to be better than what I could do. I could start messing with your family and I could start messing with your job and I could start messing with your prayer life. And he threatens and he tries to invoke fear and he's pulling on you and he's pulling on your chain because you've got this yoke that's, that's holding you down. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 7, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Somebody needs to find the devil tonight and say, Look, I know this is not our, our yearly time that we meet, and I, and I pay you tribute money, but somebody named Jesus Christ he gave me a receipt, and it's got some blood on it. And he said, you would know what this means. He said, you would know that it means that he's paid for all my sins until the end of eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But we see that Hosea did not turn to God. In fact, he turned to someone even weaker than Assyria. He turned to Egypt. And Shalmaneser one day is thinking, you know, this is about the time that Hosea comes, my servant. But he finds no Hosea, no presence delivered to his kingdom. But Hosea is rather found in the presence of the king of Egypt. And, the chil and Shalmaneser sees it as treason. The Bible says he finds a conspiracy. There's spies that are sent out and he sees it as a treason. And he puts him in prison and he says, you know what? This is it. You didn't pay me tribute money. You're trying to ally yourself with others. I'm going to put you in prison and I'm going to take your land. I'm going to take Israel. And so the children of Israel, much like their leader, are not ready. They are not just lacking in leadership. They aren't ready to fight. They aren't right with God, who would be willing to fight for them. God sends prophets and seers to no avail. He pleads with the people, take off the yoke. Take off the yoke and follow me. But they don't hear and they don't believe. And because of that, they show God, I'm willing to put on the yoke. Just name your price, devil. Just name your price, Shalmaneser, I'm willing to wear the yoke. And God is angry with his people, and he delivers them into the hand of those which desire to them. And he cast them from his sight, so much so that these ten tribes of Israel that were on God's promised land would become known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. As per the norm of Assyrian conquest, these tribes, or the people that are conquered, are taken out of their land, and they're spread across the Assyrian kingdom. They assimilate and they shed their clothes and their customs, their cultures, and some even shed their God. And they're telling you, forget about the holy things of God. 
Forget about the morals that you have set in place. Forget about holiness. Just put this yoke on. It's heavy, but it's better than having to fight. The yoke, in fact, is so burdensome that you can't fight. It's around your neck. Israel, your back is bent, and your posture is incorrect. You haven't held a sword in a long time. For so many years, you've had this yoke that's been upon your back and been around your neck. You aren't sensitive to God's, to God's preacher or pastor anymore. You can't even decide where to go, Israel. It's been around, wrapped around your neck. It's been pushing you and telling you where to go for so long. And the devil's in the back, and he's having a grand old time. Because when the yoke is on, prayer isn't the same. When the yoke is on, you don't reach God the same way that you used to. Bible reading doesn't seem as fulfilling as it used to. There's no fresh revelations. There's no time spent with God because you're so focused on driving to the next goal. A better career. Oh, well, I'm going to have to skip out on some services, but you know, man, that, the pay's really good. And it's just until, it's just until, it's just until I can get everything straightened out. And let me tell you, the yoke doesn't stiffen on the neck from just a little bit. The yoke gets put on and it gets left on. Not only do the people become lost, but even the land becomes corrupt. It is now filled with people from all over. They don't follow God's commandments, but they set up brothels and erect man-made gods to praise and worship. This promised land that was given to God's people, he had dedicated the land to them. He had cleared the way, would now be occupied by other peoples conquered by Shalmaneser and his army. These other people were from Babylon and Ava and Hamath and others, and they're transported in this great exchange of people. And God's ordinances are certainly not being followed. Almighty God is acknowledged, but just enough to be put up on the shelf with the rest of the other gods of that world and time. He's put up next to sports, and he's put up next to Hollywood, and he's put up next to the things that I desire more than God. He's put up on that shelf. And God, being a jealous God, gives them another chance. Forget the other gods. Don't pay them any mind. Don't give them respect. He's trying to pull them back in. He's trying to take the yoke off of them. And they say, don't touch that. That's my yoke. That's my crutch. That's what I depend on. It tells me on Friday night I'm supposed to go drink, and on Saturday and Sunday it's drugs. I've listened to it from coworkers. This is, this is my weekly schedule. I work through the week, and, and it feeds my habits. And all this is happening next door to Hezekiah. These nations that feared the Lord and served their graven images. It wasn't just them, but it was their children, their children's children. It was their fathers. So do they unto this day, the scripture said. And we see this in chapter 17 and in chapter 18. We see Hezekiah. He's quite different. He's trust in the Lord God of Israel, and he clave to God and departs not from his commandments. In 2 Kings chapter 18 and 4, it says Hezekiah, in his very first year as king, removed the high places. He break the images. He cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. You know what he was doing? He was taking off the yoke. And he said, this has been on me for far too long. This has been on my people. This has been on my home. This has been on my country. I'm tired of the depression. I'm tired of the things that I have to fight because this yoke has been upon my neck. I'm tired of only dreaming of having a deeper walk with God. I can't just hit, sit here. I've got to do something about it. And he breaks the serpent that Moses had made because the people of Judah were burning incense to it. He's acknowledging, he breaks it down, and he's in this, he's acknowledging that if we want to move forward in God, 
some things in the past that they were great and they were great for that time, but they have, they've got to go by the wayside. I don't want to worship my elders and previous relatives in their prayer life, but I've got to find it for myself. There's got to be sacrifice on my part. If I want something to happen, I've got to fast and I've got to read my Bible. I don't want to carry the bondage of familiarity. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God, I worship you, God. And within the same chapter, in just a couple of verses, three years go by from when he had made this commitment to make his country, his family, his kingdom to walk and adhere to the statutes of God. He's been king of Judah now for four years. And he watches, he looks over the horizon, and he can see Shalmaneser besieging Samaria. No doubt he knew how they worshipped. No doubt he knew what they worshipped. The mistakes that were made before God. Perhaps there was pity in his heart. Maybe there was some lost relative. And, and maybe there was some place that he used to go as a boy, but he knew that it would become captive. The person, maybe a bondman or bondwoman, and I'm sure... There was absolute terror as there was now no longer breathing space between Assyria and Judah. They were knocking at the door. And while there was peace for several years, it wouldn't be but a couple more. And Assyria has a new king with an even funkier name, if you can believe it, Sennacherib. Sennacherib wants your land, Hezekiah. He wants the things that you hold precious. And Sennacherib takes 46 fortified cities, and he says, I want more. I'm not, my, my hunger and my thirst is not quenched yet, I want more. And perhaps it was just the time that had passed from him doing great things for God. He smote the Philistines even to the borders thereof, the verse says. So maybe some time had passed that he had forgotten what God had done. Or maybe he forgot the, the terrible defeat that Israel had to go through. Maybe his Bible reading wasn't up to par that day, or maybe he hadn't risen early to pray, but Hezekiah thought it better to take on the yoke and not fight. It says, And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, saying, I have offended. I'm in the wrong. Return from me. Go away from me. That which thou puttest on me will I bear. And just as the devil, the king of Assyria smartened up and he said, okay, if, if you're going to do it, then I'm going to make it a hefty tax. And he says, I want you to give me 300 talents of silver and I want you to give me 30 talents of gold. And this part saddened my heart when I read it. It says, Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. He had to go to the place that was sacred. There was none left in the land. He had to grab it and and there was some left over probably, and he had to grab some more, and he had to dump it at the feet of this king of Assyria because he said 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold, that is the price of your yoke. In verse 16 it says, At that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid. He was the one that overlaid them and gave it to the king of Assyria. I don't know what it would have been like to be a citizen of Judah and walking through the town and you see the king, the king of Judah. Here he is in all of his majesty and, and he's the one that believed in God. He's the one that told us to get away all the, the groves and he broke the images down and now he's bowing down and he's cutting away. He's cutting away at the gold inlay on the doors and he's willing to give away the things 
that are so precious. The silver has been emptied out of the treasuries of the Lord. All the silver was taken from the king's house. Now the king is taking the most precious thing. He's scraping off every last little bit because I'm, I just got to pay for the yoke. And he is saying, here's, what did it represent to him? And the question is, what does it represent to you? The gold that is on the temple doors. And you're scraping it off and you're saying, you know what? The devil said he'd leave me alone if I didn't pray so much. He said he'd leave me alone and he'd leave my family alone if I didn't fast every week. He says, you know, I'll, I'll leave you alone. Just stop getting in the word of God. Stop, stop getting revelations from God. If you stop talking to God so much, I'd leave you alone. And it sounds so funny when we hear it that we would ever go to the enemy for help. But that's so many times what we do. It's what Hezekiah did. And he sends the tribute money to King Assyria. And just like the time when he captured the 46 cities, he says, I want more. That's all you got. Well, that convinced me. I really didn't think you'd give me that much. But it convinces me that you have more. If you were able to give this so willingly, because he didn't see all the time that he's scraping off from his prayer life and he's, he's cutting and he's, he's peeling back the gold inlay, you must have more. I want more. And it convinces, like I said, Sennacherib, that there is more for the taking. And he sends his messengers to give a letter to Hezekiah telling him, don't be deceived. Jerusalem isn't out of my hand. Don't, I know you're probably going to attribute that to your God or whatever you believe, but where are all the gods of the other lands? Where are all the gods of the other lands that I've taken? And the people that are living in Israel now, they were taken out of their lands. Their God said that they would take them. Where are they now? And like I said, musicians, if you'll please come. This is going faster than I thought. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for you. Okay. Uh, finally, Hezekiah has enough. He's been given this letter, and it neatly outlines, I'm sure, boom, 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 these are all the cities I've defeated, and these are all their gods that they believed in so much, and, and they prayed over, and they, they cried over these gods because they believed in their God. And Hezekiah has enough, and he gets this letter, and he, he takes it, and he says, give me that letter. I know where I'm going. And he spreads it on the altar. And he puts it at the feet of God. And he says, God, this is yours. This ends now. You've got to do something, God. And he begins to praise him. You are God alone and you have made heaven and earth. This man is talking about you, God. He's talking about you. And as he begins to pray, a servant from Isaiah gets sent and he gives confirmation from Isaiah that God has heard the prayer. God has heard the prayer. This is important. Hezekiah still has to do his part. He still has to build the walls. He has to rebuild the walls all around the city. He still has to build Hezekiah's tunnel, which is, a, from what I understand, a pretty famous thing in, in Jerusalem. It runs from the Gihon Spring all the way to Jerusalem. He's still got to dig that out. That's 1,700 feet long, a little more than that. But in all of his attempts... Can I tell you, he still couldn't break the yoke. In all of his attempts, he laid it before God, and he, laid, he tried to lay the yoke down, but there's something greater, Hezekiah, that you need. There's something more than what you can do. You can put the bricks upon bricks upon bricks to build the wall, but you need something more. And Isaiah had it right in 10 and 27. He says, And it shall come to pass in that day 
that his burden shall be taken away from off of thy shoulder and his yoke from off of thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Church, we need the anointing. I'm so thankful for this church, but I'm telling you, we can have the best singing, we can have the best music, we have the best preaching, we can have the people that are so friendly, they're kind of creepy, right? And they're coming up to you every chance they get. But I'm telling you, if we don't have the anointing, God, where are we? We're just like the rest of the religions of the world. And the devil comes and he says, you think your prayer's gonna do anything? You think your prayer's gonna do anything? Look at the rest of the world. And you can stand and you can say, but the rest of the world doesn't serve the God that I serve. You've dealt with the little G's. Now you're going to deal with the big G. You're going to deal with the big God. The yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. And if you would stand, it may be kind of weird to make this next statement, but as much as I can encourage you to take off the yoke, I plead you to put on another. Put on the yoke of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 reads, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God's interested in giving somebody rest tonight. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I have to admit, when I first read that last verse, I thought, God, you told me in your word that you don't lie, but living for you is not always easy. So I looked it up because I figured I probably don't know what I'm talking about. And sure enough, that word can mean different things. It can mean yoke or the, the um, for my yoke is easy. That word easy can mean different things. It can mean good. The yoke of the Lord is good. I was like, man, that's pretty good. And it says, my yoke can be kind. And I was like, man, that's really good. But the best definition, there was only several, but the best definition was easy meant better. God's yoke is better than anything that the world has to offer. His yoke is better than the yoke of bondage or than the yoke of condemnation. It's better than anything that the world has to offer. And what's interesting is in the very beginning, in the introduction, I told you that the yoke was meant to be something that would, that would help the animals out. It would help pull. It was meant that weight would be distributed across the backs of two and not one. But God's yoke says it would be kind and give direction to your steps. And looking into a yoke, you know, in the verse it says, unequally yoked. The verse that says, unequally yoked, it says that you don't want to be like a bull in the donkey. The donkey is the one that keeps trying to go the other way, and it's, it's not interested in the kingdom of God, and it's not interested in staying the late nights of prayer, and it's not interested in those things, because the donkey is not interested in the kingdom of God. It's not interested in the things that are, that are of God. It's not interested in the acts of holiness. And it's, it's not interested in, in being in the anointing. And it's not interested in finding revelation in his word. It's not interested in those things. But the beautiful thing about wearing the yoke with Jesus, 
The beautiful thing is when you begin to walk and it's easy. The yoke is easy and my burden is light. God, I may fall, but, but Jesus just keeps walking and he just keeps pulling me. Oh, Jesus, you just keep pulling me. You're going to pull me through the storms and you're going to pull me through the fire. God, just keep taking me. God, rescue me, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I don't know if you need to let down a yoke or put the yoke of Jesus on, but he is here in this place tonight. These altars are open as the singers begin to sing. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart. Come on, let's step out and respond to the word tonight. Come on, God's spoken to us. It's our responsibility to gather in, absorb oh, his word. Hallelujah. What things do I need to put aside, Lord? I give you praise. All that I adore is in you.